In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Ghost. Amen. Passion Sunday sets the table for Palm Sunday and the events of Holy Week. The penitential tone of Lent is heightened in the last two weeks by the removal of the glory of pottery and other festive elements from the liturgy. The gospel tells us who Jesus is. Quote, before Abraham was, I am. In other words, Jesus is the God who appeared to Moses at the burning bush in Exodus chapter 3, where God gave himself the name, I am. The epistle tells us what Jesus did. Quote, he entered the most holy place once for all, having obtained eternal redemption for us. That is to say that Jesus fulfilled the rituals of the Day of Atonement, as these rituals are described in Exodus chapter 16 and Leviticus chapter 23. The description of Jesus' person and work on Passion Sunday prepares us to experience these events, the events of Jesus' last days, his entry into Jerusalem, the institution of the Eucharist, the betrayal, his suffering and death, and then his glorious resurrection. We experience again these events which are the central reality of our baptism. We die and rise with Christ again as we move forward towards the resurrection on the day of the resurrection. The experience of Holy Week has a paradoxical quality to it. It is both active and passive. On the one hand, we go up to Jerusalem with Jesus. We are praying, fasting, confessing, and trying to love better. On the other hand, we are really just watching. Jesus will do for us what we are unable to do for ourselves. If he is not the I am who has entered once for all into the holy place for us, all of our Lenten labors will accomplish nothing. This tension is captured in Philippians chapter 2, verses 12 and 13, which says, quote, Work out your own salvation with fear and trembling, for it is God who works in you, both to will and to do for his good pleasure. Philippians tells us to work. Then it tells us that our work only works because God is working within us through the Holy Spirit. The baptismal gift of the Holy Spirit connects us experientially with the events of Jesus' passion. We watch, but we cannot be mere spectators because what he is doing on the cross is being done within us through the work of the Holy Spirit. Our participation feels passive because it is most accurately described as surrender. Following Jesus into Jerusalem and to the cross convicts us at every step. 
We are the Palm Sunday crowd, praising and welcoming Jesus, but then turning on him when he doesn't fulfill our expectations. We are Peter, making brave statements about our loyalty and willingness to die with him, but then wavering and wilting in the hour of trial. We are the disciples who cannot watch one hour and then flee when the enemy comes. Nonetheless, Jesus will die for us anyway and rise for us anyway and appear to us again on Easter anyway to tell us to not be afraid because our sins are forgiven. It is this experience of conviction followed by acceptance and embrace that makes grace so devastating and it explains why our experience of it requires mostly our surrender. What keeps us from a complete identification with the cross and thus a greater experience of resurrection is our reluctance to let go of our plans, our hopes and dreams, our own way of doing things or the way we have determined that God should do things. If the surrender of Mary in the Annunciation was her yes to God, our own lesser surrenders amount to something like a yes but. And our growth means saying the but with decreasing conviction and resistance. We talk about the goal of Lent being to make a good confession. This is our surrender to the conviction of the Holy Spirit and our gateway to a new experience of grace and life at Easter. But what exactly is a good confession? Confession begins with an awareness of what is amiss in our lives, how things are disordered, what is wrong. The standard the basis for self-examination that leads us to a good confession is the seven deadly sins, which confront our failures to love in various ways. The deadly sins are articulated in various forms of self-examination, some of which can leave us feeling as though there is no good part in our entire being. However, it is important for spiritual growth to learn some moral theology. It does not just point out what is wrong, it also helps us to understand what is not wrong and what is right. For example, it is important to know that being proud of an accomplishment or of a child's is not the same as the deadly sin of pride. It's important to know that being humble does not mean to lack self-confidence or a sense of your value. We want to confess our sins, but we don't want to feel bad about things that aren't really wrong. One barrier to a good confession and the experience of grace is the presence of false voices and influences from our past. Many people were taught to feel guilty about things that aren't really sins. For example, many families have prohibitions against certain kinds of emotions that are expressed in statements like, you shouldn't feel that way. 
these are integrated into patterns of thought as though they were moral rules. <clears throat> However, emotions come upon us naturally and not by choice. They are not inherently bad. Thus, such prohibitions often result in people feeling bad about being themselves. Confessions that reflect this kind of native self-disapproval are not good confessions. They are false confessions. Another barrier to a good confession is when the goal of looking good outwardly is more important than the truth. In some families and organizations, speaking the truth in such a way that exposes what is wrong is discouraged in favor of keeping up appearances at all costs. Jesus didn't support such an approach. His ministry focused on exposing the sin that was hidden beneath the facade of goodness or of religious practice. Confessions that focus on the appearance of things or that focus on symptoms and not the real interior issue are not good confessions. Because false voices and false rules teach us to feel bad about things that aren't really sins, the focus in confession for many people should be on grace. God may not be nearly so mad at you as you were trained to think he is. He may not disapprove of you nearly so much as you disapprove of yourself. Or more accurately, the things you were trained to focus on may keep you from seeing what is really wrong and may keep you from the truly good confession that leads to a real experience of grace. To make a good confession, we must learn to hear <clears throat> the authentic voice of the Holy Spirit and to distinguish his voice from the false voices that have formed us in wrong ways. We go up to Jerusalem with Jesus as children of our Heavenly Father who are being formed by him in new ways. His voice convicts us of our actual sins and disordered desires only for the purpose of making the good confession that leads us to grace and to resurrection. The surgery to remove the cancer is only for the express purpose of restoring us to life and health. Consequently, once we have a decent understanding of what is truly wrong and what is truly right and good, the best confessions come as the fruit of our prayer. We ask God to reveal to us what he wants us to see, and then we listen for his voice. <clears throat> In Passion Tide, we bring our fast to the conclusion of a good confession by listening. Be still and open your ears to what God is saying to you. Learn to distinguish his voice from other false voices. Open your heart both to his convicting truth and also 
his life-changing grace. Loosen your grip just a little bit more. Receive in a new way the salvation won for us by the great I Am who entered once for all into the most holy place for us. As Philippians says, quote, Work out your own salvation with fear and trembling, for it is God who works in you both to will and to do for his good pleasure. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Ghost. Amen.